Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I sound like you like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Kevin Morby is such a brave artist. Such a cool, weird exciting young songwriter i admire his music and have for a few years now but i'd never met him and i had wanted to and so i reached out to our mutual friend sam cohen and i asked if he could put me in touch and then i went through the proper channels and finally got um an interview arranged with kevin uh, of course, it had to happen via, um, you know, virtual in- Ethernet connections and all that stuff. Um, and it was, you know, better than I could have hoped for. I should learn by now that these people that um, that I think they're going to, you know, be one thing that's, you know, maybe closed off or cooler than thou or all whatever thing I'm scared of, they're not that thing. Inevitably, the people that make art that I really admire. Well, I say that and I can think of instances where it hasn't been the case. But in the case of Kevin Morby, someone whose art I do really admire, wound up being a super sweet, generous, thoughtful guy. And I'm so glad I got to have a conversation with him. Um, now, we recorded it, as I said, via uh, you know internet connection, which during a windstorm in my area... Uh, and I don't know what might have been happening on his area, in in, in his part of the world. Um, our connection got pretty sketchy at times. He did record his audio separately. So I'm hoping my producers can put it all together and make it sound good and there won't be any dropouts. Um, worst case scenario, there's a couple of like seven second sections that'll be a little clippy uh, towards the end. Please don't be put off by that. This is a, a really worthwhile conversation that I had with Kevin Morby for Wheels Off. Welcome to Wheels Off, Kevin Morby. Thank you for having me. So Dude. glad to be here. Thank you so much. I um, I'm a I'm a big fan of yours, and I uh, I've always kind of figured at some point maybe I would just meet you. And then um, I haven't met anyone, obviously, in the last eight months because we've all been <laughs> trapped in a room. Uh, and so I just, um, when the new record just came out and I was so blown away by how freaking beautiful and timely it is, um, I thought I could probably wrangle an interview if I pulled some strings. Thanks for being willing to do it. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Dude, um, so what is what creative project are you working on right now? And how does it light you up? Kevin? Uh, that's a great question. I'm working on a new set of songs, you know, Sundowner, which obviously just came out. I um, I actually wrote those songs, probably they're probably two years old at this point. 
um, I have this sort of pattern of writing two records at once. So I wrote my record, Oh My God and Sundown are sort of, they, they had a big overlap. Um, and so that just came out. And, you know, I recorded that record in January 2019. So um, I've been working on a new collection of songs for some time now. So I'm, I'm digging in deep to those. And when Sundowner just came out, I actually drove to Memphis and I stayed in a hotel for a couple of weeks just to kind of sort of cosplay tour as well as... Uh, <laughs> As well as, uh, you know, kind of switch gears because I've been doing a lot of press and stuff leading up to Sundowner. And so I kind of just switched gears and got into the mode of getting into, uh, you know, some new songs and digging into that. And, yeah, also just kind of make believe that I was on tour. So uh, my creative projects right now has basically just been a lot of new tunes. God, it's uh, that sounds like a really smart trick because there's always that thing, right? When a new record comes out, you're forced to, like, live in the past. Yeah. Yeah, especially for you, God. I didn't realize you made that. You made this record what a year ago? Yeah, I guess over. I mean, a year and a half ago. And you know, it is a funny thing because yeah, it's always when the record comes out, it's pretty old at that point, and you talk about it so much. But then you get the reward of going out on the road, and it's kind of like it lives this whole new experience. You know, though the material could be you know a year or two old, you're having these new experiences, uh, and like you know, your the songs take a different shape when you're playing them live, as I'm sure you know. Um, but you know, we live in a world now where we don't have that sort of light at the end of the tunnel. And so, yeah, I had to play a trick on my body. I, I was in Memphis, but I was driving around a lot of the South. I would wake up every day and I would like pack a lunch and just get in my truck and just, (laughs) just drive for hours and just kind of pretend I was on tour. Oh my God, that's kind of brilliant. And I, I wonder if, uh, if, if my wife would let me do that. (laughs) (laughs) You should try, right. God, it's funny. So you bring up the second life that these songs have, and you have always, I've never gotten to see you play live, but I've seen a lot of footage um, from different places. It seems like you always put together an incredible band, and you really, like, reimagine the songs for for the tours. Yeah, thank you. You know, that's definitely a big part of it. Um, I, I, I don't know, like, I... I'm always kind of trying to do something that I haven't done yet or that, I, you know, is the opposite of whatever I did right before it. And um, so each record kind of takes its little own uh, tone or universe. And I try to really display that with, within the live show. Um, you know, like the Oh My God band was this big sort of bombastic thing. And what I had planned for Sundowner was taking like a tiny little band out, you know, like a, a three or four piece and playing, you know, backyards and, and record stores rather than like theaters. And, you know, and then after that, I could come back with a big band again and, and do a bigger thing again. But I just like always keep it interesting. I'm always trying to look at my career um through the eyes of a fan um and maybe you know like a young kid who's like oh i saw him this one time and it was this big thing and he was in a suit and then i saw him a year later and it was just you know in the in a barn and um so i'm always trying to think of like if i was like what would i want to see from an artist you know so uh yeah i'd like to keep it different god i wonder of of all of your albums it seems like maybe sundowner is the perfect one to have come out during this just because it's so intimate and in so many ways it reflects what everybody's going through, this sort of being alone or with one other person and sort of uh, grappling with the questions of life and death and that kind of thing. Did it did it strike you at any point during maybe the press or the build-up for this record just like how weirdly prescient and timely this album wound up being? Yeah, absolutely, which is a big reason that it came out this year. You know, a initially we're going to have it come out next year in 2021 mm. because i was so busy with touring this year which then it's really funny because then it would it seemed really old by the time it came out um but this record's always been a little bit of a curveball for me and like uh you know my label and and my management and stuff we've always been thinking like 
what's the best way to appropriately drop this album? Um, because it's coming after this, oh my God thing, which again was like, you know, meant to be this, this, this big push for me or, or whatever. And yeah, having this big band and this sort of elaborate stage show. Um, so yeah, we were like, in what universe do we, we like, maybe we just drop it all at once or, you know, maybe release it as a series of singles or we were trying to figure it out. And then when the pandemic hit it, you know, obviously if I could go back in time and press a button where there'd be no COVID-19, I would absolutely do that. Um, but it did create this sort of strange portal for, you know, um, me to put this record out and kind of immediately I just found myself back in, uh, in Kansas, uh, isolated where I had written the record from. And, um, it just, it was almost eerie how much the record seemed to speak to this sort of sudden isolation. So I knew it kind of had to, to come out this year. So you're in Kansas now. I know you've lived in LA, you lived in New York and, um, if you could go back to when you were a kid and you were first realizing that music was something that you loved or maybe something that you were meant to do, do you remember like an epiphany moment? Do you remember knowing that this was a thing that you were going to spend your life, you know, devote your life to? It's funny. You know, I actually just rewatched the movie Rushmore recently, um, mm -hmm. which was like my favorite movie in high school. And I, I watched it constantly in high school. And I, you know, it's one of those movies that evokes such an emotion from me because it meant such, it was such a big deal to me. It's such a, like a sort of tender part of my life um, that I don't watch it too often. And when I do, I'm, I'm always reminded like, wow, this was such an influence on me. And it sort of opened the floodgates of memories of, of being sort of 14, 15 year old in Kansas. And there was, there was like a handful of things that really changed my life where I did have that epiphany where I was like, oh, wow, you know, um, like there's this whole world out there and it's all just about accessing it. Um, and you don't have to access it in these, you know, these sort of uh, stereotypical or not stereotypical ways, but like, a, you know, a way that's sort of been set in stone um, that a, a school will tell you, you know, is, is the way to get the keys to the world or, you know, like you don't need a degree or you don't need, um, you know, you don't need to wear a suit or you don't need to do this or that. Um, and there was a couple of instances of like, of seeing some bands and, and hearing some certain music and, and, and seeing that movie Rushmore that really just sort of blew my mind open to that. You know, the, the main character, Max Fisher, um, and again, it's just because I just watched it, so it's fresh, so fresh on my mind, but, um, you know, Max Fisher in this movie, uh, portrayed by Jason Schwartzman, he, uh, you know, he's kind of this, this savant um, where he writes these plays and he's, he's so brilliant writing these plays, but he's such a terrible student. And I really related to that. I basically failed out of high school and then ended up having to drop out of high school. Um, but I remember seeing that movie and thinking like, oh, you know, you can be good at things that, that are outside of school or outside of, you know, the norm, the social norm. And so that really blew my mind. Um, but then similarly around that same time, I discovered Bob Dylan, which was a huge deal for me. Um, and that was an epiphany moment of, of, oh, wow, one person with a guitar and his voice, you know, can, can sort of change the world. Um, and even though I felt that with Bob Dylan, I, it still was a little too distant from me because of uh, that happened in the 60s, you know, and I was discovering in the early 2000s. And I thought, even though someone, uh, you know, a, a person with a guitar and voice can change the world, they can't do that anymore. You know, that happened so long ago. Um, but then I, I discovered bands, um, you know, like the Mountain Goats were a big band for me in high school and the Microphones were a big band for me in high school. And these bands that came uh, sort of quickly after my discovery of, of, of Dylan or Neil Young or Leonard Cohen. And I was like, oh, actually, there's this community of people 
doing this now. And they're able to make these records at their houses or these sort of makeshift studios. And so it was kind of a bunch of things at once showing me like, you know, um, not everything has to be mainstream. Not everything has to be the radio or, or a, you know, a high school or college degree. There's these other pathways to the world. And they're actually, you know, more frequently traveled than you think. Um, so when you talk about, oh, my God, and the label and the management having this idea that this record was sort of an important step forward kind of record for you, like uh, it was going to. Um, and I know I like it seems like you've got a really strong worldwide following. Like, it seems like you do really well in Europe when you go over there. And and um, does it ever feel like, does it freak you out? And what do you think about, like, having commercial success when the whole beginning of everything was based on the idea that I'm going to do a thing that's not commercially successful? Well, or, I guess... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to imply I'm going to do something that's not popular or that people don't like, but no, sort no. of re rejecting the idea of trying to be commercially successful, kind of. Sure, sure. I, it's a funny thing. Well, number one, I think the landscape has changed so much. I feel like nowadays there's... you'd have to go through a lot for people to consider you a sellout you know i think <laughs> and i think that change really came in the early and maybe mid 2000s but at this point i think all is off the table life is just either you know social media the internet it's broken all of our brains um and the way that everything's worked but you know i think a lot of being a younger kid and i would look at what i do now i think it's i think i would think it's all pretty cool um I've done some stuff like I've, I've synced my songs or licensed my songs to, you know, some commercials, car commercials and, and stuff like that. Um, and I don't know, I, I guess I, it's still so in line with what I do. It, it, like, even though things have gotten bigger, um, it's still it, it feels like at the root of it, it's still almost this DIY operation, you know, um, I think about, you know, when, when, oh my God, when I was getting ready to do these, these biggest shows that I've ever done before, I was still going around to, to weird arts and crafts stores the night before to piece together like the production, you know, with my best friend driving around LA in a rental car. And so it's not, you know, it's, it hasn't taken off so much. I'm not, I don't have like gold and platinum records and um, singles on the radio. So I think, uh, I think I would think it's pretty cool. Um, but but the, the the landscape certainly has changed with with certain things that you know I have done and agreed to um, that would be a part of the mainstream. I mean, doing something like licensing a song to a popular car commercial or something like that is a very mainstream thing to do. Um, though I think if I saw that in high school, I'd still probably be like, "Wow, that's pretty cool! I got in a car commercial." <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy, and it, it and it's funny because it really is. I don't know. You and I are almost 20 years apart and um, 18. Who's counting? Um, <laughs> but but the like the 97s came up before the collapse of the music industry and the money was just stupid. You uh -huh. know, like the record budgets were three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand dollars to make amazing. a freaking record. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And and like, obviously, you, you can see why it broke. Um but I just I love the idea that here you are doing a thing that's really big that people are really loving and you're able to make dough doing it. But like you said, you're still driving around collecting pieces of the production in a car the night before yeah. yourself, you know, yeah. handlers. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's a big part of it. And it keeps like I see people and I, you know, I, I always say that, like, I've kind of been in the game since like 2006, you know, Um and I've seen so many people blow up overnight and I've seen so many people have this sort of immediate success. And almost in all of those cases, all those instances, those people flame out pretty quickly, you know, and um, 
I think it would be a, a, a difficult thing to, to do, especially for a young person, anyone in their late teens or early 20s. And so I'm very fortunate. And I feel very grateful to just sort of have this slow burn and, and um, you know, because it keeps you it keeps you centered. But it also it works in this way of, you know, it's not weird to me. Like I'm not out like buying fake clouds at art supply stores for my stage thinking like this is so depressing i wish i had someone else doing this I, i'm 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 excited like i want to touch every part of 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 what i do you know like that's a big part of it for me is is being as involved as possible um so yeah i think it's a i think it's a good thing you know so uh, I admire about you that you seem really deliberate about your career and you seem like you really care about, as you're describing, sort of top to bottom, every aspect of it. Um, I wonder, you know, was there a time like when you dropped, when you were failing out and dropping out of high school, was there a time early in your career when you were moving around and trying out different, you know, bands versus solo stuff? Um was there a time where it was was really hard for you? Was there a time where there was like internally generated obstacles that you had to overcome? And if so, you know, what were what's the tricks? What were your tricks? I think the most internal obstacle cuz I never I think a big part of, you know, being happy with what I where I'm at and what I've done is having no expectations. Like people always say like, "Oh, when you moved to New York when you were young, you must have you know, you, you I, were you doing it to become a musician? And the honest truth is, no, like I, I always knew I wanted to play music and be a musician in that right. But I think coming from the Midwest, there's some sort of foundation that you just grow up thinking you'll probably not become anything too important. And, you know, I know that's the mission statement of like a band like The Replacements or Who's Do. Like I've heard a lot of other Midwesterners talk about that, but it is sort of this thing. You grow up in a, a landscape where there's you know, I never knew a celebrity. I never, you know, I, I didn't know anyone who had made it out of the city and gotten famous. Um, so it just felt like, well, why in the world would that happen to me if I don't know anyone else that that has happened to? Um, so I think going into it with no expectations was a big part of it. But at the same time, it did create this sort of inner thing of always thinking like, oh, I don't need the spotlight or, or it, it wouldn't be right for me to take, you know, um, to, to uh, you know, uh, have to tell my story or so it was more about you know being like no it's okay you know if you feel the uh, if you feel the need to share art and to share your story like that, that's okay to do so i think it took some a while for me to get there um and that was sort of an internal thing um and yeah you know i i think it's something that came out um while during my time in my band the babies um and my friend Cassie, uh, who is in a band called Vivian Girls, who's very talented, she was fronting that band. And then uh, she started this side project with me. And I think having the, the sort of comfort of being up there with her, and, and she was such a star, really helped me kind of come into my own of, of being able to be a, a front person. God, that's so interesting. What you describe, it almost sounds like like guilt for like the spotlight being on you maybe um or like self-consciousness you know that yeah yeah i think about uh there's a quote um i remember one time john ham the actor who's from yeah, st louis yeah, yeah he had said when he was talking about his path it's something i think about all the time um because I think I've I've felt like you a lot of times, like, I could never be like these people that I admire. Like, who am I? Why, you know, I could never. Sure. But sure. he said something once when he was, I, I guess, starting out and he looked around at the landscape of the other people coming up around him. And he thought, well, if not me, who? Like, why wouldn't sure. it be me? Sure. And, um, and I've, I've always wished that I could have thought 
like more like that, you know, been less apologetic about the spotlight being on me. Well, it's funny he says that. Uh, I love John Hamm. He's amazing. And I I watched the entire uh, Mad Men earlier this year. But he, um, you know, he's from Missouri. He's from St. Louis. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure he he battled that same thing. He's also a great example of someone who got famous later in life um, and became such an icon. Um, there's this, uh, this other quote that I think of, um, uh, from Patty Smith's Just Kids when she says she was watching all the bands play at CBGB's in, uh, in Max's Kansas City, you know, in the seventies in New York. And she had a feeling, and I love that she says this, especially as a woman, and especially during that time where she just has this, like the utmost confidence, you know, where she says, um, you know, I was watching people do this thing and I just thought, you know, I can do this, but better. Um, and there's you know, something to that. And I, I don't, that wasn't my initial thought. I feel like that's something that I later related to. Um, but there, I don't know, there, there's something, I'm sorry. Did you freeze up? Did it freeze? I did. I did. I, I'm so glad you're recording this on Pro Tools separately yeah. because I lost you ever said, um, you said, especially as a woman, mm-hmm. um, and then I lost you for a solid seven seconds there. Oh, no, no. Well, yeah, I got it all on here. I did, I did cut myself off, but I'll just say the whole part over again. Okay. Uh, wait, where did I start with that part? You said, um, so I was reading um, Just Kids, Patti Smith, and she was talking about Max's Kansas City, and okay. she said that for her coming up. Cool. Yeah, I was reading uh, Just Kids by Patti Smith, and there's a quote in that that I always think of where she said she was watching um, you know, all the different bands playing in, in the 70s in New York and Max's Kansas City and CBGB's. And she said she had this just like overwhelming feeling of, of confidence of, you know, I could do what these people are doing, but better. And I think she even says, like, the only person who I knew could do it better than me was Lou Reed. Um, but I could do it, you know, as, as better than everyone else except for him. And I love, especially a, a woman at that time, and you know, in the 70s in New York and like a male-dominated scene, I love the idea of that confidence. And I think that confidence is something that I, I grew to get, you know, after I sort of got the confidence of, okay, you know, there is something I want to say and there is something I want to do. And I, I've always wanted to do that. And I just had to be comfortable with it. Then kind of that feeling that Patti Smith is describing sort of set in, which I think speaks to the John Hamm thing of like, well, if I don't do it, this other person's going to do it. And I don't think they can do it as well as I can. And, you know, and I love the thought of that because I love me thinking that about someone. And so I do it. And then I love someone seeing me and thinking like, oh, I can do it better than this guy. Then that person, you know, is moved to, 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 you know, create. So I think it's really cool. I also, John Hamm, I, I got John Hamm, uh, just, uh, you know, off subject real quick. I got his email a couple months ago and I emailed him after Mad Men. We don't know each other, but you know, I was like, I'm just going to email John Hamm. And I told him that uh, I was a big fan of Mad Men. He wrote me right back and he said, hey, thank you so much. And now we email every once in a while. It's a very nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the word. Is Everybody says he's a super, super sweet. I actually have met him a couple of times, too. God, it's funny. So I was nervous to speak to you because, in a way because um, I do find you to be a very confident performer. And um and and recording artists like I feel like your music is there's like an unapologetic quality to it, like uh, there's a sort of a bravery to it, and I just figured that for sure anybody that had that much self confidence was going to be I don't know was going to think I was a turd or whatever stories <laughs> that we tell ourselves you know, and sure, um, sure. but it's 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 so nice talking to you, but I I do wonder like 
when you're on stage, I think about this a lot, the, the sort of tricks we play on ourselves to like mm -hmm. keep ourselves going or get through weird moments in a show or uh, in, a, in a career. Um, like, do you find yourself doing that? Is it something you sort of consciously have to fight through and tell yourself, like, I am great. I am actually quite good. You know, it's so funny in like you using the word tricks is, is so important because I think there are these tricks that we have to put on ourselves, and, um, you know, c to kind of get into the theater of it all or to, you know, um, yeah, just jump these hurdles of uh, I'm about to walk into a room of a couple thousand people. And that's that can be a very scary thing if you think about it. You know, I think when my audience started to grow. And it's not like, the biggest thing in the world now, of course, but like when it, it did start to grow, when it started to get past 500 people, I really started to notice that this new anxiety was was inside of me that was sort of saying, you know, like, like there's a ticket with your name on it and 500 people, have, uh, you know, have bought this ticket. And without you, it all collapses. You know, if you go out there and you you freeze up, you're not like the, the you know, a band member like, you know, the guitar player could say, oh, I, I'm too scared to play. I can't play. And you could go on without them. But if I can't go on then 500 people's lives for a moment are rerouted, you know? And, and that was a really scary thing, but I think it's just about throwing yourself into the fire. I think you just throw yourself in and you just see what happens. And, 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 and you know, and such is what's beautiful about live music. And, and um, but, you know, another big thing is I really look to my heroes. I, I have to look to my heroes all the time. And I think of, like I think about Nina Simone and her confidence and just watching old live clips of Nina Simone gives me, you know, such courage. And I think of someone like her being able to do what she did in the time um, that she was able that, that she she was doing those things. And there's just she's commanding the crowd and she's 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 just doing this thing. So I think, you know, I'm not just think of Nina Simone, you know, I'll give, you know think of how she must have felt before this or think about how, you know, it must have felt to be. Uh, Nick Cave or or any of these people at certain points in their career. And, you know, speaking of Nick Cave, there's a moment before I really was a fan of his where I played a festival. Um, I, paid, I played a festival in um, Finland in Helsinki, and I got to be side stage for his performance. I'd never seen him play before, and he was, it was maybe my all-time favorite show that I've ever witnessed. It was incredible. He ha was headlining this festival to like 10,000 people. Um, but right beforehand, I watched him with his two sons, kiss them both on the forehead. And he said, you know, while I'm out there, you need to mind your mother. And then he walked out and then suddenly just became this rock star before all of our eyes. And it was just this really great moment of watching this sort of family man then turn into this rock star. And it was that good behind the scenes, behind the scenes moment of, you know, we're all just people. We all, you know, we're all out there. We, we all fart. You know, we all, <laughs> we all. <laughs> We all get anxious. We all are the same. You know, we're all we're all we all were born. We're all going to die. Um, but in between, you can you can throw yourself into this thing and you can sort of become larger than life for a fleeting moments. And um, so, yeah, I, I look to a lot of heroes for inspiration and, and yeah, just kind of throwing yourself into it. That's great. Um, so I wonder if you were able to meet up with a version of yourself working in today's world, but a 21-year-old, like a young, this is the classic question. If you ran into yourself at the age of 21, but in today's world, what advice would you give yourself? From the 21-year-old's perspective? No, no, no. What advice would you now uh, give yourself as a 21-year-old, if you, the 21-year-old you? <laughs> That'd be funny. a good other <laughs> I would tell the 21-year-old me, I'd say, in the year 2020, uh, the world is going to be so uh, so fucked. 
You're not going <laughs> to believe it. Um, buy a bunch of masks now, a bunch of hand sanitizer. Um, <laughs> no, I, you know, if I get to talk, so when I was 21, I was playing in woods and, you know, those are my best friends. They're like family. And um, I guess I started the babies, but it's very much a side project. And I was still very nervous about it and really didn't have too much confidence about it. But um, there's an exciting new thing in my life. And I guess I would just tell myself really not to do too much different. You know, I would say, you know, take your time and, uh, you know, and Joyce is a wonderful person. She's a therapist. She's just a very brilliant person. And she told me this one time, she was like, you know, Kevin, this music thing, when it started out for you, you know, when you joined Woods, it seemed like it was going to be this fun thing for you. But now as the babies get going and, you know, your audiences are growing, it seems like it could be something that you make a, a real go at. And, you know, just one foot in together. And if you do that, then I think you can really have something here. And that was just always the, the best advice, you know, like count each little thing as, as a success. And. That's kind of what I did, and I think I'll just reinforce that if I could talk to 21-year-old me, and yes, warn him about the year 2020. But I think, I think uh, it's all about one foot in front of the, the next. I think people get too hung up on certain goals, like I need this or I need that, or you know, it could be as much of like I need to get best new music from Pitchfork or I need to win a Grammy. And people set their eyes on these things, but really, people need to just look at right in front of them. And, uh, you know, I need to play a show and then you play the show and that that's a success, you know, and then okay, I played a show now. I want to play another show, but I want to take a guitar solo during that next show. And you just count each, each thing as its own success. And pretty soon you've got a bag full of success and just make it happen one step at a time. A bag full of success. I love that. <laughs> well, man, I'm so glad I, I feel so lucky that I got to speak with you and I your work so much. I really do. And, um, I'm excited to hear this next batch of songs you're working on. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights and your time with me. Thank you, Rad. I really appreciate it. This is wonderful. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also... As the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.